0: Everyone is looking for love. Everyone. Deep inside of every human soul is a need. There's this profound need to be treasured. Every one of us desires to be listened to, to be respected, to be supported. We need to hear that we matter that we're important, and that we're special just how we are. We all yearn to be cared for, and that does include physical affection, which is why even from birth, you have infants that need to be held by their mother. It's a need. And so from birth, every one of us has this reality that God has wired into our very being to be loved. And almost everything that we do can be explained in in one way or another as an effort to somehow maintain, to maybe improve, or to pursue love. We do. We want it. We want it so bad that if you listen to every other song on the radio and most movies, you hear the cry of a heart that yearns for love. And so, so much of what we do, we really are trying to maintain improve, or really pursue more love, to be loved and to have those that we can express our love to. So, this is a universal longing, but the reality is that this longing for love cannot, please hear me, it cannot be satisfied with love from other creatures, other created beings. Not in the ultimate sense, because we were made for more. We were made for more than the love of another man or woman. You and I were made to experience a holy, perfect love. From your creator. Only God can satisfy your heart's deepest needs and longings for approval, for affection, to be cared for, to know that you're valuable, to be loved. Today's sermon is titled, Seeing the Love of God. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. Again, 1 John 4 verses seven through 12, as we see the love of God and how it impacts our lives today. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, has exactly nothing to do with your nationality, with your culture, or your religion. Nothing to do with that. Being a Christian means that you have experienced the new birth, that you have been born of God, like it says here in the text that we just read. Being born of God, that's what it means, and know God, again, as we just read. So being born of God and knowing God personally, that is what it means to be a believer. So the new birth is someone who has personally experienced God in such a way that they have been so transformed, they actually have a new nature. Their heart is Change no longer a heart of stone spiritually, it's now a heart of flesh. So this new birth, being born of God, like we just read, is the act of the Holy Spirit breathing, hear me, this is the breath of heaven, the Spirit of God breathes life into a dead soul. And then once that person is spiritually alive, resurrected, by the power of the Spirit breathing on them, then what happens is that person's heart, their soul is connected to God. And so your human spirit is interwoven with the Spirit of God. And this, is, this may sound strange to you if this is new or if you don't know Jesus, but this is true. And those of us that have experienced this can tell you That all I can say is, trust Jesus, and you can experience it for yourself. It's mysterious, but it's true. That the Spirit of God and our spirit are one, and our hearts are one with God. So we're born again of the Spirit. We have spiritual life, and what is the result of this? This new birth, being born of God? A changed life. That which self-help books and therapy could not help you, the Spirit of God does. He changes us so that now our hearts are different. Where we love God, before we didn't, but now we have this new desire for Him. And we also have a new hatred for our sin. And we have this new, real, genuine love for other believers in Jesus, our brothers and sisters. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Not knows of God, has been born of him and now personally knows him. And who does not love, does not know God, might know of him, but doesn't know him personally. No love does not know God because God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love God one another. Let me give you the primary truth, the main idea from this text. Those who are born of God are called to share the love of God. And so those who are born of God are called to then share the love of God. So if you are trusting in Jesus alone and his work on the cross that we sung about so beautifully and powerfully together. If you are trusting in Jesus alone to save you, then God's spirit lives in you. You are one with him and you share his nature. This is profound. But you in a very real sense right now are called holy, sanctified. And so you have God's nature. Not that you are God. We're not Hindu. That's not true. You're still human. But you share in His nature. What this means is that you can be conformed to His character. You can image, you can reflect God more clearly. We talked about that last week as image bearers of God. And so we more accurately reflect Him, image Him as Humans, because his Holy Spirit makes us slowly but surely as we trust him more holy like him. And so as reflecting, we will love others the way God loves. So you must first experience the perfect love of God before you can then genuinely love other people. So do you on this Friday morning want to authentically? Love God and love others. All true heart change begins, continues, and ends with Jesus. All of it. All true change begins, continues, and ends with Jesus. So we must depend on him to truly love God and to love others. Now, I know what's at least one person in the room. I'm sure there's a skeptic in here. Don't raise your hand. But I'm sure at least one person is thinking, I don't really agree with you, Pastor. I know plenty of people who are loving, who love their family and love their friends, and they, they never go to church, and they don't know God and don't even pretend to. They, they know they're not Christians and they're okay with it, and they seem loving to me. That's true. Let's just be honest about that. There are some people that I'm sure you know that on some level appear to be very loving people who don't know Jesus and reject him. But I could could take your point a step further. I could point to people that I know that have overcome strong addictions, like serious problems, and they live moral lives without Jesus. How do you explain that? Well, God is so merciful and so good and gracious that God offers a measure of His grace even to those people who don't love Him. It's called common grace. God reigns on the righteous and the wicked. Even those who hate Jesus still are blessed with children. They're still blessed with jobs and food to eat and sunshine. And and the degree of pleasure, so to speak, on this side of heaven, even people who don't know Jesus can still have blessings in their life because God is that good. But hear me, God wants more. He wants you to experience saving grace, redemptive grace, transforming grace, not just common grace. See, you were made for more. God wants us to know him, to delight in him, to serve him. God knows that he made you for himself and he wants you to delight in him. And so only the spirit of God can truly change our deepest desires and our motives. Nothing else can do that. Only God's Spirit can do that, and only He can empower us to accomplish things that are not good, but things that are eternal. People can do things that will look good from a human perspective, but I'm talking about eternal things in the kingdom of God. Only believers through the power of the Spirit can do that, can glorify God. And so we are dependent on Him. And the eyes of our hearts have to be opened and turned to the living God. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. It's the only way to experience true and lasting joy and peace, which is why this summer we have been contemplating who God is. We've been been meditating on seeing God and seeing His magnificence, seeing His goodness, seeing His mercy. We've been considering his justice, his holiness, and today his love. And so we need to see God and know who he is. And so we've been considering seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because that's the only way for us to be filled with true joy and peace. And so those who are born of God are called to share the love of God. Let me give you three truths from this text that we must know and believe, and not just intellectually, they have to go deeper. We have to internalize them in our hearts and truly cast ourselves in the mercy of God and and trust him. Not, Not just say it, but actually do it. These truths will help us and lead us to reflect the love of God. The first truth, this is very complicated. The first truth is God is love. This is the beginning. This is the foundation. The first truth from this text is that God is love. You must know and believe this truth. If you're to experience God's healing, his transformation, his deliverance, his presence, his joy, and if you want to then love other people well, love others sacrificially with joy, if you want to live like that, The starting point is you have to know and believe that God is love. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we see here that God is the source of of love. It all comes from him. It says love is from God. And so love that exists comes from God. He is the source of love. But it also says that his nature is love. It says God is love. And so love belongs to God's nature. And so love is a part of what it means for God to be God. So love is from God the way that heat is from fire, and the way light is from the sun. And so the sun gives light because it is light. Fire gives heat. It emanates. It comes from heat because fire is heat. And so love emanates. It flows from, it comes out of God. It comes from God. He's the source. It comes from him because he is love. It's part of his nature. It's his characters, who He is. And so oftentimes, whenever people will describe the character of God, the nature of God, says, oh, well, God is love, and they're quoting 1 John 4, 8. So it's true to say God is love. It's biblical. We just read it, but we have to understand the nature of God's love correctly and biblically. We, we can't divorce one character of God from his other characteristics that describe who he is, which is why this whole series is looking at different parts. And so think of God as a beautiful prism or a diamond, that it's one but has many different sides and together shines brilliantly. And so God has many different facets and parts that are beautiful about his overall character, and love is one of them. But God is also holy. We've seen that just last week. So God is love, but God is holy. And so for us to see Jesus very clearly, I believe it's helpful to couple the word love with the word holy. Jesus loves you, but he loves you with a holy love. We need to keep this in context and who God is. He has a holy love. Remember from last week, we talked about God being holy. Well, holy means set apart. And so Jesus loves you with a holy love. And so his love is set apart. His love is not ordinary, his love is not normal, it's not human. God's love is pure and perfect. His love is never-ending. His love is always faithful. His love is always sacrificial. So God's love is not the same as human love. It's set apart. It's other than what we would normally experience. God's love is holy because God is holy. So the love of God, I mean, you have to hear me, please. The love of God is nothing, nothing like the love of your husband, or of your wife, or of your mother, or your father, or your children. It's nothing like that. The love from God is nothing like the love that you're going to get from another human being. Because due to our sinful condition, we don't love each other with the holy love. We don't love each other perfectly with purity and honesty and integrity. We don't always love each other that way. Our selfishness corrupts our love. We get self-centered with those that we love. And sadly, we tend to be most self-centered with those that we're closest to, that we're supposed to love the most, are the people that get the most selfishness from us because of proximity because they're just closer. And so the experience of full brunt of your love, which is corrupted by your sin. And so human love is marked by, yes, joy, but also by betrayal. Human love is marked by being hurt and disappointed. So all of our relationships on some level will bring you the greatest joy and the greatest pain in your life. But God's love is different. His love is holy, and he will never fail you. His love never fails. Only your Father in heaven loves you with a perfectly pure, unblemished, holy love. With a generous love with no end, with a love that is always good, never self-centered, that wants what's best for you, A love that is always concerned with your welfare, with your well-being. A love that delights in who you are. A love that is always gracious with you when you mess up. The love that you're wanting from your husband or your wife, that which you're not getting it because it's not possible. You were made to yearn for that because you were made to see that and receive it from God. And yes, we're called to image it, but because of our sin, we don't do it perfectly. And so this is the foundation. You must see that God loves you. He is love. Second truth is that he loves you. So first truth is that God is love. Second truth is that God loves you. There's a progression here. Number one, he is love. Number two, but specifically, God loves you. So deep inside of every one of us, we have to know and believe that God loves us. You are a treasure. You are. But how can you be certain that God really loves you? Where is the proof that God really values you? Let's read verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was revealed among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is so powerful. This is life-changing heart-altering, healing, truth, you did not love God first. Every time that you say, I love you, God, you're actually saying, I love you too, because he said it first. He loved you, and it's out of that love that it moved him Because he treasures you to send his eternal son to pay the price to die on the cross for your sins, enduring your guilt, your shame, your condemnation, and Jesus paid it all for us. The word we just read, propitiation, it refers to the means by which God can forgive sins. It's connected to the word sacrifice. It's God upholding his justice, his Holiness, and yet showing his love and having his son pay the price. And so the cross shows holy justice. God is not ignoring sin. There has to be a price paid. It also shows holy love. God made a way. He loves us, and so he sent his son for us. And so I hear the phrase so often that God, God has unconditional love. And I know how we say that, and there's some truth to it, but it's actually not very accurate. God's love is not unconditional. It's not true. There was a huge condition. An immense price had to be paid. There was a requirement. There was a condition. The condition for God's love was the death and resurrection of Jesus. Without the condition being paid for, there would be no love from God, only justice and holiness. We do not deserve God's love. His love is other, holy, supernatural. All we deserve is God's judgment. That's what we earn. That's what we deserve. But instead, what do we get? Mercy and grace and love and kindness and blessings, his presence. We get all of these and the eternity that we're waiting on. So God's love for you and me is always tied to the gospel. God's love for you is never outside of the gospel. His love for you is tied to the finished work of Jesus on earth. The cross. He loves you. He's able to express his love to you because Jesus paid the price. The condition was met. Justice upheld. Holiness upheld. Now love can flow. And it does. And he treasures you. And he proved it with Jesus dying on the cross. So when the enemy comes to you and he lies to you, when Satan says you're worthless and God can't love you, you say to him, well, it's true that left to myself, those things might be true, but it's a lie because Jesus came, paid the price, and the cross proves that I am forgiven, and the cross proves that God loves me, and I am valuable, and I have his image that is being restored day in and day out. And so Satan, get out of here. Be gone, Satan, with your lies and your accusations and your slander because I belong to Jesus and he loves me. You know, if I can be honest with you, it's hard being transparent as a pastor. It's kind of weird because if you, if you undershare like, your own personal life struggles, and you share nothing, everyone thinks, oh, pastor has it all together, he's got no problems. Which is not true. But if you share every one of your struggles, people won't ever come back. Because they're like, man, he's really messed up. But we're all messed up, we all need God's grace, we need each other, and so I try to not share too much except with others that I'm really close to and they know all and they still love me, it's amazing. Being being in a faith family, it's incredible. But for many years, I'll be honest with you, for many years, I struggled with this. I, I did not believe God loved me. Now, Intellectually, yes, yes. Theologically, I knew God loves me. I could quote you the verses and all that, but for real, in my heart, my soul, I didn't believe it. Now, I knew God loved you. I could preach that, but no problem. God loves the world. I knew he loved everyone else, but... Loving me, man, I just couldn't believe that. Too broken, too many struggles, not enough love for God. I just thought there, there's just no way. But let me tell you what happens to you. If you doubt God's love for you, it's devastating. Doubting God's love will lead you down a path of deep insecurity. It leads lead you on a path of, of burnout, exhaustion, because you're trying to earn that which you can't earn, but is freely offered to you, which is God's love. You will turn to sinful patterns because you're trying to find and make sense of, of your pain inside, and so you'll turn to sinfulness to cope and to just numb the pain. You try to control other people so that you can feel better about yourself. And you will destroy your relationships. You'll destroy them because you can't give what you don't have. You can't express what you've never received. If you've never received the love and mercy of God, then you cannot give it because you've never tasted it. Take it from me, but even beyond me, from the authority of God's Word. When we have experienced the love of God, we then can love others. What is a solution to doubting the love of God? You run to Him, you meditate on the character of God, you read His Word slowly meditating on it. You enjoy the presence of God. Get in your face before God. You stand in awe of who He is. You meditate on His goodness. You see how Jesus met the condition, the requirement on our behalf. And, and you feel His love and His mercy just rushing in. We need the reminders of how much He loves us daily. Oh, man, hourly. We forget. We forget. You know the challenge of preaching to the same people? Like, if being a conference preacher is so easy. You have thousands of people who never heard you before, and so your jokes are all fresh, and your illustrations are all it's the same one, but never heard it before. And, and so to have a new audience is very easy. But to have the same people who know you week in, week out, man, that's much harder. Much, much harder. But here's what I can tell you you run to Jesus. I have to have the confidence to preach the same sermon every single week without being ashamed of preaching the same message every week. You turn to Jesus, you trust Jesus, you rest in Jesus, you enjoy Jesus to preach the same sermon without preaching the same sermon every week. Same solution every week. And it has to be, for there's no other solution. You surrender to Jesus. You follow his path, which is humility, humbling yourself, repenting of your sin, and reading his word in community with other believers encouraging you that you're close to. And what happens? Spirit begins to change your heart, to heal you. And you feel his love. And you have the confidence to face your sin and to walk in obedience. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 records this powerful prayer. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You will know the love of God, and you will have the fullness of God. God's love fills us, satisfies us, and gives us hope. His love is what keeps us safe in this insecure world. His love is meant to overwhelm us. Looking to the cross and seeing His mercy, His love should overwhelm us. And it gives us the courage, the power of His Spirit, the courage to change and to not stay the same. God's love is what empowers us to take those small steps obedience. We don't obey in order to be loved. That's religion. That's every religion under the sun. You do, you do, you do, you check the boxes, you do the prayers, you do so that you can then earn God's favor. That's not at all what we're saying. You don't obey to earn God's love. What happens is our hearts are so changed, we want to obey. We want to walk in a holy direction because we are loved. So the motivation to live well is Jesus. Jesus is the prize. He is the goal. Jesus is our purpose, his presence, and his joy is the reason why we seek to obey. So because God loves you with a holy love, he wants to change you not leave you how you are, to reflect him more accurately. Think of it this way. It's as if God would say to you, now that you have seen me, your eyes are open, that you have felt my love and you see just how much I love you, you can let me teach you how to love me in return. And he does teach us through his word with other brothers and sisters who are encouraged. We learn how to love God better. So again, his word in community through his spirit. See, our problem is that we tend to think about God's love as getting what we want from God. So if God loves me, he'll give me what I want. No, that's not how it works. He loves you too much for that. God loves you so that you can reflect His glory with hearts full of joy and peace. Last truth as the time is expiring, third truth. So God is love and God loves you. Number three, God loves through you. He loves you, but He also loves through you. Last two verses, verse 11 and 12, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See the natural response to having tasted and and enjoyed the love of God is to then love others. So when we feel God's love, we love other people. So when we are honestly not just saying but for real loving other people it's actually the Holy Spirit is abiding, continuing who is in us so God's Spirit who is in us is actually loving that other person through you. So it says that his love is perfected in us. The perfected refers to the word accomplished or completed is what that word means. So it refers to God accomplishing his purposes through us, which is why verse 12 says no one has ever seen God. Well, God is spirit, so you can't see him, but you do see him. In a very real way, when we love genuinely, people get a glimpse of God. They get a glimpse of his character. They can see what God is like through you. When we reflect his love, this is, so this is a calling here to reflect the love of God. So God pours his love into us, and then we are channels of blessing, and we then pour that love into other people. And so, let me give you kind of a working definition of what love is for us practically. You know what love is? Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. That's what it is. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. So, it works is that we taste his mercy and his Love, and and so then what overflows from this joy is love. And it's manifested in meeting needs. So if you don't have joy in God, you will not meet the needs of anyone else. You'll be focused on your own needs, your own usually selfish desires. But when we're filled with the love of God, The overflow is meeting needs. See, you can't fake love. Love is more than words. Now, if you ask anyone who's married, they'll say, I love my wife. I love my husband. That's easy. It's so easy to say, I love you. Oh, my goodness. How much effort is that to say, I love you? But true love like real love, results in caring for the well-being of the other person more than your own comfort. Hear me. True love results in caring for the well-being of your wife or your husband. So their well-being matters more than your own comfort. So the next time that you're thinking, saying, or doing anything, interacting with your wife or husband or even friend for that matter. Are you more concerned with their well-being or your comfort? You see, this is tricky because we can have good behavior. I'll give you an example of a husband. A husband can say, I'll be more romantic, I'll buy you flowers and I'll get you chocolates and write you, you know, nice little text messages, I'll be romantic and I'll help with the kids more. And I'll wash the dishes for you, wife. And so he looks good. This is good, good behavior. But the attitude is selfish because the real motivation is leverage. He's using this good behavior to then control his wife and get what he wants from her. And so good behavior. Can actually be evil if the heart's not right. So, guys, husbands in particular, do you want your wife to know that you love her? Do you want her to know, for real, that you love her? Listen to her. Can you get an amen, ladies. Listen to your wife. This is, I'm I'm a fellow struggler in this, but I've I've been convicted of this recently. When we say, oh, I'm just a bad listener. You know what that is? Sin. Being a bad listener is pride. And so there's no way to say, I'm a bad, holy listener. It doesn't work. It's not possible. A good listener is someone that cares about the other person. So you see, if you want your wife to know you love her, listen to her, really know her, search her mind. See, your wife is a person to treasure, not a body for your pleasure. She's a person, treasure her, love her the way Jesus loves the church. The wives can be just as guilty. They can criticize and not encourage their husbands and mock them or speak poorly of their husbands or their girlfriends out of love because they want him to change, to be a better husband. But the truth is, you're not helping him. Do you want him to know that you love him? Respect him. That's the key into your husband's heart is respect. That's how he's going to feel loved by you. Loving other people is hard. Let's just be honest. Loving others is not easy because we're flawed. Our pain, our disappointments, we hurt each other. So if you're here in the room and you're someone that you've been convicted as of late, maybe even just today, that you have been failing to love the other person, whoever the other person is, friend, co-worker, wife, husband, parent, I don't know, if you're failing to love another person, what you have to do first of all is see the glory of Jesus and feel his love. You have to feel that God loves you right where you are, but loves you too much to leave you where you are, and so you need to repent of your sin. You need to come clean, ask for forgiveness, confess what you've done wrong, and then demonstrate repentance with a concentrated effort to change. Now, if you're on the other end where you've been hurt, and you're having a hard time loving the person that have hurt you, you too need to see the glory of God and know that he loves you right where you are. You pour out your heart to Jesus to heal and restore you. And you beg him to help you to forgive that other person. And maybe God allowed this to change you as much as the other person. And so be honest about errors where you need to change as well. Do you want to love others the way God loves? Do you want God to love others through you? It begins with receiving God's love. That's where it starts. What's the motivation? What, what is the motivation to joyfully love others meet their needs? The glory of Jesus, more of him, his presence. Anything else won't sustain you. If your goal is anything beyond that, you won't change, you won't love sacrificially. See, God has generously loved us and so there is no room for believers to be selfish. We should be the most generous lovers there is. It begins with seeing his love. And there are people who don't know him but need his love. Will we be the ones to share it? God is love. God loves you, and God loves through you. Is your life marked by this? Is this what your life looks like? If you don't know this love, please come talk to me. I would love to share more and you can get to know Jesus and experience his love for yourself. May we be a church that genuinely reflects the love of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we do praise you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you challenge and encourage us. Thank you that you love us despite ourselves. I pray that you would make us a church that reflects your character that displays it and as we consider today a church that reflects your love to each other and to the nations so that more people can know you and to experience your joy and your love. And we pray it for your glory and your sake, our King Jesus.